0: Have you ever stared at the wall of flowers at the grocery store and wondered what the difference is between them all? Maybe you're gluten-free and you've had to learn how to navigate grains, discerning which ones are safe and which ones will make you sick. Flour can be very overwhelming, but it's also the backbone of all baked goods. Believe it or not, flour has also been the center of lots of theological controversy over the years. Today we're going to dig deeper into this magical, mysterious ingredient. Welcome to Kitchen Meditation's a weekly podcast from the Edible Theology Project, where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you are hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you've come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to orient ourselves before we begin. In the professional kitchen, mise en place is the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes you're about to make. It involves measuring your ingredients and reading your recipe all the way through so that you know exactly which kind of flour you need to use each time. I like to think of it as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well, asking God to be present with me as I cook or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from my new book, Buy Bread Alone. Slow your breathing. Inhale and exhale with each line of this poem. Flour is the backbone of any loaf of bread. Corn, rice, barley, wheat, each piece a creation of culture and agriculture. The people who mix it, the places that raise it, the environment where it ferments and grows. A few years ago, the Catholic Church made headlines when it reaffirmed its long-held stance that the bread served in communion must Contain gluten. To those unfamiliar with the history of this requirement, the stance appeared to be a cruel rejection of those who are gluten intolerant. Protestants serve all kinds of bread at the Lord's table, people thought. Why couldn't the Catholic Church just get on the same page? Based on the reaction in the news and online, it might have seemed like this was the first time the question of a wheat free communion was ever on the table, brought to the fore thanks to the rise in gluten intolerance among consumers. But the question of what kind of flour is appropriate for the bread served in communion is nothing new. In the 13th century, Thomas Aquinas wrote his Summa Theologiae, attempting to create a comprehensive theological textbook for those seeking ordination. Within its many pages, in part three, question 74, article three to be precise, Aquinas addresses the question of bread used for the Eucharist, stating that the bread must be made of wheat. He was responding in part to claims that barley bread was the more suitable element for the sacrament, since barley is more bitter and therefore more in keeping with the events of Christ's passion. And also, since according to the Gospel of John, Jesus served barley bread when he fed the 5,000, just before Jesus calls himself the bread of life. This barley bread would have been the common bread consumed in Jesus' day, as it was much cheaper to acquire than wheat. But Aquinas argues that the density of barley bread And the hardness of the fiber in barley flour parallels the old law, which Jesus came to fulfill. The more suitable grain would be wheat, he says, sifted of its fiber to lend a soft, sweet loaf. This requirement of wheat has remained the stance of the Catholic Church ever since. Until recently, whole grain breads were considered the food of the poor. Growing, harvesting, and grinding wheat into flour took a lot of work. To then sift away the fibrous parts of the flour until you had a fine white wheat meant throwing away hours and hours of labor. Fine white wheat was very expensive, and therefore the food of the elite. It makes sense that in wanting to honor Christ, Christians would want his body to be represented by the finest bread available. There is great beauty in the chemistry of wheat itself, too, that points to the beauty of Christ's incarnation. Each year on Ash Wednesday, I mix up a new batch of sourdough starter. I love digging my hands through flour alongside reflections on dust. I love remembering my own mortality, remembering that to dust I will return, then watching this dust come back to life over the course of the next three days. But I also love the way this process reminds me that dust and flour are not the same. As soon as water touches wheat, a series of transformations begins. The water activates enzymes inside the grain and begins to uncoil amino acids trapped inside. As these amino acids uncoil, they form bonds with one another, building up a protein network called gluten. Once water touches wheat, the flour can never go back to the way that it was before. From dust we come, and to dust we will return. But Jesus, though he was incarnate in a human body like our own, did not return to dust. Rather like the flower, Jesus could not return, but instead offered himself to us as bread. The bread that unites us as a church in this sacrament of communion. This reaction doesn't take place in the same way with any other grain. It's the wheat that reflects something beautiful about Christ's incarnation. At the same time, the focus on wheat comes with a whole host of issues. Most notably today is the concern of those who are unable to consume wheat without getting sick. How do we handle the need for a gluten-free communion? Now, I should note here that the makers of the wafers used for communion in the Catholic Church claim that the traces of gluten are so minimal that most people can consume them. And for those who cannot, communion in one kind is still sufficient, which means a Catholic celiac can receive just the wine and still have participated fully in the sacrament of communion. But what about the places where wheat bread has never been the norm? Can Jesus be present in the bread of a culture built around corn? or rice, or teff? Aquinas would say, or rather, in fact, he did say, that wheat bread for the sacrament could be brought to these regions. In many ways, as a food scholar, a bread baker, and a Christian who takes the sacrament of communion very seriously, I respect Aquinas' position here. The particularities of the foods that we eat are significant, To say that a wheat loaf and a corn tortilla are the same thing is to overlook the significant taste, texture, and cultural differences that led to the development of these individual food items. They might play similar roles in the diets of their consumers, but they also each deserve to be understood in their own right as significant cultural items. To simply replace wheat bread with another kind of grain is a task that should not be taken lightly. But I think the wheat itself offers an answer to this problem, which ultimately gives me the confidence to contradict Aquinas, and as a humble Protestant, the Catholic Church as well. Those amino acids that make up the protein gluten are called glutenin and gliadin. The amino acids have opposing qualities to them, The glutenin likes to stretch and stretch. It's called the elastic quality. And the gliadin likes to hold its shape. It's called the plastic quality. When these opposing forces form bonds with one another, tension begins to develop. This tension creates the structure of dough that captures carbon dioxide gas and allows the dough to grow while holding onto its shape. I believe that our theological commitments ought to be held, like the gluten, in constant tension between expansion and maintaining form. Perhaps the wheat itself gives us a picture of how to honor the beauty of Christ represented in wheat, and also expand our imagination to include the breads of other cultures made up of other grains as well. A Catholic nun living in Mexico about 400 years after Aquinas wrote a short allegorical play that suggests a similar idea. It's called The Loa to Divine Narcissus by Sor Juana Inez de la Cruz. She writes of an indigenous man and woman who sing of their great God of the Seeds a God above all other gods who makes himself food so that those who eat his flesh might be cleansed of the stains on their soul. When introduced to the Christian God, this man and woman recognize in the bread the same God they already knew through their own form of bread. Through this play, Sorwana suggests that God's presence was revealed to those who did not yet know Christ's name through their local bread presumably a bread made of corn. It does, after all, seem just like God to work mysteriously outside the structures we have for understanding God's work in the world. Perhaps our very bread can point us toward that truth. Flour is the backbone of any loaf of bread, corn, Rice, barley, wheat, each piece a creation of culture and agriculture. The people who mix it, the places that raise it, the environment where it ferments and grows. We'll get to our kitchen tip in just a moment, but I want to take a quick break to tell you more about Edible Theology. Edible Theology is an educational nonprofit helping you connect the communion table to the kitchen table. We offer resources for churches, families, and individuals to help build community and find healing in relationship to food. This Lent, we are reading through my new book, Buy Bread Alone, a baker's reflections on hunger, longing, and the goodness of God. I like to say that it's a theology of bread as told through my story. If you'd like to read along, you can download our free Lent reading guide at our website, www.edibletheology.com. It includes chapter recommendations for each week of Lent, along with discussion questions and prayers, and a free workshop recording for each recipe in the book. Again, you can download the guide at www.edibletheology.com. Our kitchen tip today is for those who would like to experiment baking with different kinds of flours. No matter the kind of grain being used, The biggest differences between the flours available on the shelf at the store are, one, the amount of gluten they contain, and two, the amount of fiber they contain. Some flours don't contain any gluten at all, like rice flour, corn flour, almond flour, and more. Of the wheat flours on hand, some contain very little fiber and weak gluten strands, which make them perfect for baked goods like scones, cakes, and cookies. This would be your pastry flour, or your cake flour. Some contain minimal fiber, and really strong gluten, like bread flour or double zero flour, which are perfect for loaf breads and pasta. And some contain lots of fiber. These would be your whole grain flours. These differences in gluten and fiber significantly change how the flour will function within a recipe which means you can't just sub one flour for another in your baked goods without understanding the ways the recipe's behavior will change. But when you do understand the flours, it can be really fun to play around and see how you can change up your favorite recipe. If you are not gluten-free and you just want to try out different kinds of grains, I recommend you start by using the recipe I teach in my Bake and Pray workshop, subbing out different kinds of grains for the whole wheat called for in the recipe. This will give you a sense for the differences in flavor and texture, and will also help hone your technique so that you'll be prepared to move on to more complex whole grain recipes soon. If you're interested in that course, I'll link it in the show notes for you. If you are gluten-free and you are trying to replicate your beloved glutinous recipes, then I recommend you start simply. Find one or two recipe developers that you trust and choose one or two flowers to familiarize yourself with. I love the recipe site Canelle Vanille. She has spectacular gluten-free recipes, including recipes for a crusty bread. I also recommend Peter Reinhardt's book on gluten-free baking. I'll link both of these for you in the show notes, too. Approach your learning with a sense of playfulness. Don't overwhelm yourself at the start. Just choose to learn more about one item at a time. And as you do, reflect on the great creativity of God in creating so many kinds of grains and the creativity of humans in developing so many different kinds of breads. And now to close, a prayer for flour. God who breathed life into dust and brought forth the first human You say that we are dust, and to dust we will return. You became like us, born in human flesh, but death could not hold you down. Like flour transformed at the touch of water, you turned not to dust, but to bread. May I remain in awe of you whenever I feel the touch of wheat. Amen. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by The Edible Theology Project, where the communion table meets the dinner table. Learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at edibletheologyproject. Our intro music is by Josh Garrels. A huge thank you to our producer, Jason Rugg, who made this podcast possible. We would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Spotify then share this episode with your friends. Your help ensures that others discover this podcast too.